go brighter up here than it was the last time. Uh, I was a bit nervous. Um, can I, let me ask you a question real quick, maybe to help. But is there anyone in here that, uh, maybe by show of hands, that has, has made a mistake and they regret it? Okay, very good. Okay, I feel like that does help a little bit because now I feel like I'm among friends. You know, folks who, who understand, uh, you know, our condition, and, and that helps. Um, I want to read about, uh, out of John 4, the Samaritan woman. And this story is, um, to me, is, is something that relates so well to me. Not because she's a woman and I'm clearly, like, a super masculine man. I mean, rugged and, you know, all that stuff. Not, not like a daub sort of man. It, it's, like, it's, like a, it's like a different sort of, we don't really have time for that. But <clears throat> anyways, jo- I feel like Joseph, he's a great friend, uh, he is so manly that I'm pretty sure, and I've not seen it, but I'm pretty sure like he does push-ups with his beard. Like he, no, ha- no hands, look at this. I'm pretty sure that that's a real thing that's happened. Um, one, of the, one day I might get it on video. That would be, that would be cool. No, the reason that, that I feel this, uh, I, I relate so much to this story and, and enjoy it so much is because it really, a portion of scripture demonstrates the heart that God has for us. And, and I think that heart is what, what captivates us, what, what makes us fall even more in love with God, when we understand more of, of who he is and what he has in store for us. And so that's why uh, this portion I, I relate to it. Um, it relates so well to me. Um, I'm going to pray now. Oh, God. Thank you so much for a place that you get to come and spend time together and get to pray together and, and unity. God, thank you for this opportunity to get to share your word, Lord, and just speak to our hearts. Thank you, God. Lord, I pray that as we get into your word this morning, it, your name would be glorified above all else, Lord, that I would just be a place uh, where we're all in faith with you, God. Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would just have breath in us. That's all I want, God. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, uh, we'll turn to John 4. I think, I think the verses will be on the screen, though. Um, I'm going to start in <clears throat> verse 1, and we'll, we'll get into it. Uh, the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who was baptizing, who baptized him, but the disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went to, went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of land, or plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Um, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, 
you would have asked him, then he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as also or as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. All right, well, uh, the first thing that we notice here in verse 6 is that it's around noon. um, That's what the sixth hour is then. And uh, Jesus is tired from the journey. And this has absolutely nothing to do with what I'm teaching about, but it, but it is pretty incredible to consider consider the fact that Jesus is tired when we when we go back to uh, how John opens opens the book. Uh, in the first four verses in chapter one, it says, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made." That has been made in him life and in him life in him was life and that life uh, was a light of men. So Jesus is God and he's men. Hundred uh, percent both. Something we we struggle to to wrap our minds around. But it's just awesome how Jesus was tired, and I think it just speaks to that humanity um, of Jesus. Uh, Hebrews four. 15 tells us this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus came and he endured the things that we endured. I mean, Jesus was tired. He was tempted. We understand that uh, through the gospel. uh, That's that's a point that is is made clear to us. Uh, Moving on, though, the Jews absolutely despise the Samaritans. They were con- considered half-breeds uh, among, among other points of conflict. Uh, the Samaritans took no part in the traditions and things of that nature uh, that the Jews did. Uh, and that's the first barrier in this, in this unlikely conversation with the Samaritan woman. Uh, the second barrier would be the fact that she was a woman. And in that day, women were looked at more as property. And they were treated a lot differently. So the fact that Jesus was engaging a woman was unique. And then a Samaritan woman on top of that uh, makes, it, it makes it further um, more unique in that regard. And then we add in the, the fact in verse 7, when Jesus asked, for her, asked her for a drink, he, he would have had to use her container to drink. Because it, say, it says in verse 7, uh, or 8 rather, that his disciples had gone to town. So he didn't have anything to draw with. Now you can imagine they're on the road a lot. So they travel from town to town. This is something that they have so that they can draw from the well as, as, as needed or has as access to provide. So they had gone. And in, in him doing this, this would have made him ceremonially unclean. And we also understand that, that throughout scripture, that Jesus wasn't so concerned about keeping the traditions of the day. I mean, he touched the leper to heal him. 
be healed on the Sabbath. There was debate about washing of the hands. But that wasn't his concern. And, and I think that that speaks a lot to the volume of, of the heart of God <coughs> in particular uh, in, in this portion of Scripture. <coughs> she was an outcast and looked down on by her own people. In biblical times, uh, going to draw water for women, this was like a social social deal. This is when they could chat it up and, and all these things. But as you can see, she, she was here alone. And, and they typically went in the evening, not in the hottest point of the day. So, so we understand that, that she's an outcast. She's despised by her own people even. And then on top of that, the Jews absolutely despised the Samaritan people. But here she was going to draw uh, alone. In verse 10, it says that Je- uh, after they had gone back and forth, uh, Jesus had answered her, if you, had, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you the living water. Jesus is the gift. Is the gift, and, and we when we go back to John three sixteen, for God uh, so loved the world that he he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. She didn't understand that, and it, it goes on, sir. The woman said, "You have nothing to draw with, for the well is deep. Where where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father?" Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his flock. She completely, completely didn't grasp grasp what he was even talking about. Jesus answered her, everyone who drinks uh, this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up. What Jesus says here is pretty profound. He goes from the physical to the spiritual, and and in the midst of that, he addresses the condition of the human heart. And this is important to understand. uh, That we seek pleasure and fulfillment in earthly things. But these things cannot quench the thirst of our heart. I mean, water, we need water to survive. This isn't a, a bad thing. He's not even, that's not the issue. He's talking about the heart of the matter. Uh, St. Augustine said this uh, in his confessions writing, O Lord, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless till they rest in you. And that is a great truth. But she's missing it. But, but Jesus is, is, is pressing on, and, and, and as, we, as we move go forward here, uh, in verse 15, we'll pick up this. The woman said to him, sir, give me this, this water so that I won't, be, won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. 
Jesus accepts the faith. You are right when you say you have no helper. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you are now with, or now have, is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on the mountain, on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place we we are to worship is in Jerusalem. I wonder, in verse 15 here, as she, as the woman says, Sir, give me this water so I don't, so I won't be thirsty and have to keep coming to draw water. I wonder if, in part, yes, I don't want to have to keep coming here. This would be great. I could just, just avoid this whole thing. But I also wonder if, in part, this living water that she, that she, she wanted to quench, to quench this thirst had something to do uh, with the fact that every time she comes to the well, she has to come alone. She comes in the heat of the day. It's not a constant reminder of her past failures. See, and, 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 and the reason I, can, I wonder this is because Jesus talks about the fact that, that she's had five husbands. So she's an outcast, a reject from her own people. So every time she comes to the well, it's a reminder. Hey, guys, I'm not very good. even married i've been rejected or or thrown it away five times and the guy i'm with now he doesn't even want to marry me and i'm not trying to add these things but but i just wonder it does make me wonder in in this broken condition if if that's not the issue or in part of the issue every time she goes there And as we move on, you know, Jesus Jesus meets her, or steps right on her pain, uh, in verse 16, uh, when he tells her, go, call your husband and come back. This is Jesus. He knows what's going on. He knows she's not married. He knows her condition. He understands that. And it's not because he's come to this point of, well, I feel kind of convicted about talking to this woman. Maybe you should be your husband. It's not that at all. It's to bring about the point that he's been trying to drive home. This fact of this, this insatiable desire that we all have for affirmation, to be loved, to be accepted, all that stuff. you know. And we seek all these things to try to fill that. But like Augustine says, we're restless until we rest in you, our heart. As the woman tries to potentially cover up or, or simply not address her situation, she says she has no husband. In verse 18, uh, this verse in the grand scheme of things speaks absolute volumes about Jesus. And the reason I say that is because Jesus knows her condition. He knows her absolute deepest, darkest secret. He knows the condition of her heart, that she wants to be loved and affirmed, and not have to be an outcast and a reject by her own people even. And we all, I mean, I can certainly relate to this. But this speaks volumes to Jesus, because he knows that, and yet what? He still engages her, as a Jew, as a man, as the Christ.
think that these are real lessons on on how we ought to, and this is not the sermon, but how we ought to engage the world, this broken world. This is, this right here is a it's a great blueprint for that. Because Jesus could have easily said, Oh man, you are a nasty woman. Let alone the fact, oh man, you're you're sinless and pious. I, I don't want to talk to you at all. God knows all things. He knows our biggest flaws and failures, yet he still chooses to love us. He chooses to meet us right where we are, right where we are. That's what he chose. And the more that we grow closer to the Lord, the more that we we love and appreciate that. The more that we grow, we understand our own condition and our own folly and our own failures. And I think that it just makes us just long to know God more. And this morning when we're singing, you know, Uh, Romans 5, 8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, we don't have to agree with someone's lifestyle or life choices to love them. We don't have to, also, we don't have to compromise on on what we believe to be true and right and God-honoring to be able to love them either. the reason that we can do that is is stated in in 1 John 3 19 it tells us we love because he loved us first we also recognize that we ourselves are not without flaw and we understand our own desperate need for a savior this is why we can love well as a church and this is why we should because we understand that that we need a savior we need it we desperately need someone to fill the gap. We need someone to step in and intercede. We need someone to, to pick us up when we have absolutely no hope. And is this not what Jesus is doing right here? This woman is isolated. She's alone. She's broken. She's made some terrible choices. Or maybe choices have been made for her. We don't know. It doesn't say. But we know I've been through it. I've been through a divorce. Man, it's sucks and it's hard and it hurts and that's not the only thing man there's there's other stuff i can't do it on my own and i understand that but i also understand that i'm flawed and i don't always get it right and because of that i can love well Uh, a year ago or so my brother uh my older brother was in jail here in town for for some time and i could easily said well we keep doing the same thing, man. Everything sucks. Everything sucks. But that's that's not the heart of Christ. I do, and I visited Jesus, and I prayed with this dude, and I talked to him because he was a happy audience, you know. Um, he's not even going nowhere. Hey, listen to what I got to say, buddy. Um, no, but but in that, I could love him well and right where he was because I do love him. And I also understand that, that my condition and my past and all those things. I've been on the other side of those bars. Man, I've done stupid stuff. But because Jesus paid it all for me, he loved me first, and he loves me now. 
cousin in the last two weeks just got saved, but 32 months in prison. And it's been a, it's been a process these last couple of years. And, and it's caused a lot, of, a lot of tension in our family, and specifically his immediate family. And I have loved this dude and prayed with this dude and talked to this dude about the things of God more than I have my entire life. And I love it. I love it. Man, we all make mistakes. But because God loves me, I can, I can love. I can love well. I can love him right where he's at, flaws and all. And God is mighty big. up in, in verse 19 and 20. Sir, the woman said, I, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers were, were worshipped on, on this mountain, but you Jews claim uh, that the place in, that's in Jerusalem is in, Jeru- in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. For the Samaritans worship what they do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I am he. You will seek me. It seems that perhaps maybe she's convicted by her sin or, or whatever it may be. She tries to, to change his subject to the, this, the, where we ought to worship. The con, concerning this, this proper place of worship. And Jesus is not a word or comment, but he uses, to, uses it to impart further spiritual truth. It's not about where we worship. We can draw near to God in the heavenly sanctuary by faith, and this faith is in Jesus Christ, and he is the perfect high priest. Uh, Hebrews 10, 19 through 22 says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most high place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled and cleansed from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So Christ died and the, the veil is torn. We, we understand that. Now we have access to God. And this is what he's talking about. We, we can enter into that heavenly place through faith. That, that Jesus Christ paid the price, the ultimate price. We now have access to God. So we can worship in the church here. I can worship at home, on a tractor, wherever. It doesn't matter. And that's exactly what he's talking about. Worshiping with the heart, not this exterior stuff. These, these ceremonies and, and all these things that, that make us 
look good. And that's what the Pharisees were so consumed by. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. Because it's not about the exterior. It's about the interior. And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. The woman said, I know the Messiah or Christ is coming. When he comes, people are telling everything to him. Then Jesus replies, I can speak to you and to you only. This is awesome. This is, this is to me, like the, the most uh, heart-churning part because she's so unlikely. And we've talked about the fact that she's a woman. She's a Samaritan woman. She's full of, of mistakes and past regrets and all the garbage that, that life can, can pack on us where we can add to our own situation. And yet, what does Jesus do? Jesus makes one of the clearest declarations in all of the New Testament as to who he is. I am he. I am the Messiah. So he reveals to this woman, this unlikely sin-filled woman, who he is. He met her right where she was, in the midst of her pain, drawing water by herself, alone and isolated, rejected by her own people. This is where Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, meets this woman. That, to me, is awesome. And then the fact that he reveals to her the truth about who he is. I am he. I mean, he asked his disciples, if you recall, in the the Gospels there, who do they say I am? Who do you guys say I am? But he tells this woman exactly who he is. That's awesome. And this is why I can relate so well because, man, my life has been, it's been ugly at times. Understand what it means to be rejected. Understand what it means to to want that affirmation from your, your, your parents and, and not be able to get that. Understand what it means to have your dad walk out. Understand what it means to, what does a real man look like and, and what does a good man look like? Buying into all these other things, chasing all the crap that the world wants to offer to fill that void, to quench that thirst. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to be lonely and feel isolated and that I'm going at it alone and it hurts and there is no darker pit. God is good. Our God is mighty to save. I'm not here today because of my own effort or merit or or good behavior or any of that garbage. And those aren't all bad things. But this is the glory of God. There is no reason, and I know I've said it before, and I carry this so close to my heart because it's true. There is no reason that I should not be imprisoned, cracked out on the street, or dead. There is no reason except for the grace of God. There is no reason. I take no credit. God is good. And he met me in that pit, in that hurt. And it's not been easy since coming to Christ. There is still rejection there's still hurt there's still pain but god is good and he he meets me right there my god is good our god is good 
But we come here on Sundays to, to praise and worship this God. This God who is a God of redemption, a God of transformation, a God of, uh, uh, that is a God of restoration. That's who we praise. So his disciples come back and go back and forth about some things. Um, and I and I get this. I'll jump to verse 39 here. A great many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. She told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans uh, came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And they, and he stayed two days. And because of his word, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what, have you, what you have said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is a stranger in Israel. Well, I mean, it's amazing that, that they listen to her testimony. I could only imagine, you know, this sense of urgency that she runs back to the town. Like, oh, my goodness, this, is, this guy is the real deal. And I don't know what that looked like. But it says that many, many believe because of, of her testimony. And I like the fact that it's in our nature, I think, and it's easy to define someone by their mistakes is what she said. I think that's in our nature. We see it daily. We see it often. But that's not the heart of God. That's not, that's not how we ought to act as people of God. I think too often people, whether it be in the church or not, get so consumed by the symptoms of their sickness, of that nature, of sin nature. We get so consumed by this exterior, the symptoms of life, and not concerned about the heart. We want to write people off because... Well, they've done this or done that or, or, or this type of person, whatever it may be. That's not the heart of God. We need to be concerned about the heart. And that's right where, where Jesus meets this woman. Right at the heart, at her deepest, darkest pain, rejection and sadness fades. Not upset. That is where we need to seek from. That's the heart of God. We don't have to have it all together. We don't have, our li- have to have our lives all cleaned up to come to Jesus or to be in his service. We're all, I mean, as we started the service, you know, I'm fairly certain that we all raised our hands to being, being falling short of that glory and making mistakes and not having it all together. And yet at the same time, we all have a ministry, every one of us, and that God has called us to. this right where we are and if we're willing and available God can use us God is about the business of the impossible parting the Red Sea God did that and people we believe that God is able I mean think of this and, and maybe I could have led with this or, or 
started and ended with this. Either God is or he is not. Either God is or he is not. I think that we're all in this room because we believe that he is. Either God can or God cannot. Either God can or he can't. It's as simple as that. Who am I in my finite finite understanding or, or lack of ability to even comprehend simple things to say God cannot? I don't want to stand on that side of God. I mean, as we as we got into to prayer this morning and Titus was talking, this is the truth. This is why we we praise because God can. We believe that. God is in the business of restoration. God is in the business of transformation. God is in that business. He is in the business of impossible. And I I think that that's the most endearing thing about God to me. And maybe that's because I I can understand my own condition and know my life better than anyone. But it's that hope that I find in Jesus that just makes me want to sing tighter to that song and say that God can. And then, if you get too far off topic, you can, you can read it for yourselves in Daniel. I think it's chapter 4, uh, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they re- decided they're not going to bow down to the, the idol, and they're getting ready to throw it in the fiery furnace. And I love this. I feel like this is the richest sum of, and to me, the richest portion of Scripture, uh, just in the attitude of God's sovereignty. We will not bow down. God will deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. I love that because there's a confidence that God can. But if he doesn't, he loses no validity in my mind. He loses none of his majesty because God is good. And that's the hope that we cling to. loves us that that I will still sin and he chose to forgive me if only for a minute to to pay a price that he couldn't pay thank you for that gift to give way to a heart that that is truly gratitude to you God there's never the same thing this is not the same season we've been in God I pray that as we go from week to week more and more As we close out today, stand and uh, sing with me. Men, on the first verse, join with me. And on the second verse, ladies, join with Angie. Let's stand.
south sing to the east and the west jesus is savior to all lord of heaven and earth we will shout to the north and the south sing to the east and the west jesus is savior to all lord of heaven and earth sing rise up church Rise up, church, with broken wings. Fill this place with songs again of our God who reigns on high. By His grace, again we'll fly. Shout to the north and the south. Sing to the east and the west. Jesus is Savior to all, Lord of 